You're listening to Season 6 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast with your host, Kate Donovan. Fried exists to hashtag end burnout culture, to help listeners release any shame, blame, guilt, or judgment that you have about burning out, and to create spontaneous moments of healing through recognition of shared humanity with other people who have experienced burnout and lived to tell the tale. Fried and its associated Facebook group are free resources provided for you from our hearts. Our paid work includes keynote speaking and one-on-one coaching. You can find information about that at katedonovan.com. And now, here is this week's Healing Packed episode. Hello, Fried fam. This is an episode that has been in the making for about four years. Eva and I recorded our first podcast episode together actually about four years ago when I was still living in Prague. I hadn't left Prague yet. And we recorded an episode for a podcast that was called What Would Kate Say? Because my patients in Prague made bracelets that said, what would Kate say? And when they had a problem, they would ask each other like, well, have you thought about what Kate would say? And um, so we recorded an episode for that. But that podcast, because I had no idea what I was doing, was terrible. Uh, (laughs) Our episode wasn't terrible, but the whole podcast was terrible. So you cannot find it on the internet anymore. Um, Thank God. But four years later, my fried family finally gets to meet my best friend and my favorite person in the world, Eva Boschuk. Eva lives in Poland. She is a mentor for leaders and teams. If I have to read to you all the certificates that she's done and all the books that she's written, we would be here for a half an hour and you'd never hear her voice. She's done it all. She's an expert in design thinking. She lectures at universities. She's a scrum master. She's a heart math trainer. She's an executive business coach. I mean, she's literally done everything. And in addition to that, she's a professional speaker who has spoken at the national stadium in Poland. Like you guys, she's a big deal. (laughs) So please welcome and help me welcome my bestie, my favorite person in the world, Eva to fried eva you're here finally oh thank you so much for having me hello everybody and i'll i'm just i'm just ladies and gentlemen that wasn't prepared like that wasn't she wasn't reading it from the prompter it's amazing like who's the speaker here who's the professional speaker here yes amazing (laughs) each other a lot Yes, we are. Uh, we are uh, with Kayleen Donovan. We are a dream team. Mm. We used to do so many fun things together. I don't know if you know, but we were doing like making kids together. <laughs> that is feasible. That is feasible. <laughs> yes, we opened our our first coaching business in two thousand and nine. For women going through fertility problems. Yeah. So that's how long I've been coaching you guys. I don't talk about that a lot, but I, and I don't have a coaching certificate, but I did work alongside Eva for years and she is where I got all of my coaching skills. So this is my mentor and I am her apprentice, but now we've been kissing each other's asses for too long. So let's. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So let's, let's drop it. You're cool and everything, but like enough. Um, Yeah. Okay. 
Tell us, tell, choose a burnout story. I know that there's more than one. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, yeah. But, but which one comes to mind right now? Which one would you love to share right now? Yes. Uh, I, uh, when you, when you told me, you'll ask me this question. I, I asked, I, do you want this story from today? <laughs> And, and, and I would like to share that actually, because, yeah. uh, I am also a friend with Sarah, who, who is a highly sensitive person and is helping people who are especially sensitive, whose nervous system is very fragile to manage, uh, life and avoid or, or work with burnout. And I would like to, I think I would like to share this because this is, this is me. This is my story. I am highly sensitive personality. And the, the day I found out was a really a pivotal day for me because I realized I'm not crazy. I'm not mental. I'm just, my nervous system is finely tuned as graciously Ellen Aaron, who's, who's, uh, who's an expert in this field says it. It's, it's like high, high sensitivity is not a disease. It's not like we are like broken. It's just, we are very, very fragile. So Honestly, I am on the brink of burnout every day. I need to work hard from the moment I open my eyes, not to end the day with the feeling of burnout. Recently, I was listening to uh, one of the of the of the interviews with uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, the the amazing Elizabeth Gilbert. And what resonated with me so much was she said, people don't understand that my full-time job is taking care of my mental health. And from time to time, I'm writing a book. People don't understand how much time daily I need to invest in order to feel loved, like to be above the line, as they say. So this is yeah. this is my experience. It is an excruciating experience because I need to save myself from burnout literally every day, even on vacations or even particularly during vacation. Yeah. So that's my story. Every day I start the day and thinking, oh no, no, I can't, I can't do it today. Not today. That's my story. But then. Sometimes you get to the end of the day and you crash <laughs> and sometimes you don't. Um, yeah, that's true. I think that this idea that caring for mental health takes time while when you say it out loud is so obvious. I don't think people think about it like that. It's like, oh, I'll just do a breathing exercise. You know, like we're, we, we have so many quick tricks mm. that I don't think that we give enough grace around how much effort and time it can really take for different people in the population. Everybody's a little bit different. Some people don't spend any time on it at all, and they probably should, but some people don't <laughs> spend any time on it at all. Right. But it's, there's, this is actually something that needs taking care of. And that can be, overwhelming in and of itself. 
Because now yes. we've got, you've got to take care of your work. You've got to take care of your family. You've got to take care of your physical body. You've got to take care of your food. You've got to, and now you've got to take care of your mental health too. Yes. But as you say this, I've never really thought about it like this before, but as you say this, I think about how many things I do during the day and how many times I stop during the day to recenter myself so that I'm not thrown over the edge. This is why I love resentment because it's always okay. my first sign, right? Like I, it pops up and I think, oh, oh, here's a boundary I should be paying closer attention to. But I do this now automatically mm -hmm. all day, every day. All day, every day. Like today I was, I was leading a, a, a workshop and it was a workshop on innovation. So I was doing those agile breaks. Agile breaks means like you take a break every last 10 minutes of an hour. And every last 10 minutes of an hour, I've spent those 10 minutes in, in, in the toilet, like literally in the toilet, recentering myself. Yeah. And then when I was walking into the toilet, every time my body was shaking, I could feel that I'm not breathing properly. My stomach was in knots, like every 50, 50 minutes. And this is something that you do regularly that yes. you know that you're good at on an intellectual level. You know that you're good at. In addition to all of the things I listed off before about Eva, she's written like six books. So this is literally what she lives all day, every day. So yeah. you have the tools and you do this and you know you're good at it and it's still costly. Yes, very, very much so. And I think recently I've seen that I uh, I've seen that Maria Forleo. We are both fans of Maria Forleo. Maria Forleo is doing this uh, this training or something. Yes, time genius. And I think that when you're struggling with burnout, you need time genius because it is all about time management. Because otherwise, you, it, as you said, this this is gonna your life is going to get overwhelming out itself, right? Yeah. You need to manage time in order to be able to put into your day, into your schedule, all those tiny little freaking annoying things you have to do not to crush in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, and I had to uh, incorporate enough after I, I finished the workshop because I'm an introvert. I'm introverted. Yeah. This yeah. is Kate. Kathleen's also a little bit introverted. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is something that I get asked a lot. People say, well, isn't it tiring? Like speaking is tiring. Yeah. Yes. It's exhausting. Why do you do it? Well, for me, because I know it's how I can make the biggest impact. And I build time into my schedule after. If I have two, three things to, to speak at during the week, you better bet your ass I'm getting a massage in the middle of the week. Because I'm not going to make it through otherwise. I can't. I love this job. I love what I do. And I can't do this every day without extra care. Amen. Right? It's not possible. It's not possible. In my car, in my trunk, there's a pillow and a blanket mm -hmm. because I don't have enough time to go and have a massage like every time because I sometimes I, I, I teach people, train people, do uh, speaking events every day. 
but there's this pillow and there's this blanket and I set my alarm clock. I, I fall asleep easily. So I set my alarm clock 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and I just doze off. I just, I'm not there. I'm in, in a different realm. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I'm reset and I can go home and continue with my day. So I want you to listen to what just happened, everybody. She didn't say necessarily go back to work. She said she does this reset before re-entering her home. This is something that I end up doing with almost every single client that I work with, creating some sort of ritual around the end of the workday so that you're not carrying this pile of nerves with you into your home, into your sacrum, into your what should be your safest, most restorative space. Yeah, there's this, there was this reel the other day. There was this mother in the kitchen and she was holding a glass of a red of red wine. And there's her, this kid and, and the kid says, mommy, if you didn't have your wine every day, would you die? No, but you would. <laughs> <laughs> we need rituals, people. <laughs> right. So having a 10 minute nap in your car is a ritual. Sometimes like if you're working from home, shutting your computer off and putting a shawl over it so you can't see it anymore is a ritual. Just that sometimes is enough to like shut you down from what you're doing and get you into another space in your day. But just understand that creating separations between your working life and your living life, especially today where so many people are spending so much time at home, can be really, really critical. But before we go down this rabbit hole too far, there's something that I really want to talk to you about today. And it is not the book that you're currently writing, but the book that you just finished writing recently. Purple one. The purple one. It's in Polish. <laughs> it's in Polish, but you know, we'll get there. This book started out as a TED talk about sarcasm and its toxicity and developed into a deep dive into how to detoxify communication. Mm. This, I can't, I, I, I keep pitching you when I am talking to clients as part of my package because Thank I you. don't uh, think people understand really how important this is. And even within groups of people that are trustworthy and lovely and et cetera, the way we talk about people and things is really scary. I often find myself trying to help people come to a place that is more objective and less emotional so that they're not like, well, that boss didn't care about you, so F him. Like, that boss has his own stories and that company has its own stories and maybe he didn't understand that part of his job was to care about you and maybe his mother neglected him and maybe we don't know what the stories are. I'm I just I'm having a hard time lately with all of the like well if that doesn't work for you then f it I'm here for putting up boundaries it's I talk about it every day but we don't have to be nasty about it so talk to me about detoxing communication 
Just basically oh tell us your book and, and to do all the things. <laughs> you have 25 minutes. Go. Just kidding. Okay. 20, 25 hours later. <laughs> so but perhaps why why this book? Because yeah. I'm working with, with people. I'm working with teams, with, with leaders, with corporations a lot. And one day I realized that no, ma- no matter what topic the client wants me to, to discuss, we end up talking about how we re- relate to each other. Mm-hmm. How, we co- how do we communicate? Because people say, oh, do something so that my people are so more innovative. But why they are not innovative? Because they are afraid of being judged. Because they've been criticized so many times. Why our do something so that our uh, meetings are more productive? I go to a meeting. I I went to a meeting. Uh, this this was a a team of fina- financial controllers, and the CFO said, "Listen, I got amazing experts on the team, but we can't make any decisions. Like we're discussing and discussing over and over and over." And I went to their meeting. And after an hour, I've counted that they started a sentence with yes, but, Mm -hmm. or a version of it, 58 times in 60 minutes. They say, oh, people don't want to cooperate. But if they call somebody and they hear contempt or they get ignored over and over, they won't reach out. You were talking about asking for help, but try asking for help inside of a corporation where everybody is burned out or 50% of people are burned out. They are resentful, yeah. cynical, and yeah. you call them and ask for help for, could you please send me this data? Yeah. A few. Yeah. And, and I was looking at it and, and I stumbled across the work of uh, Professor John Gottman who has devoted his whole life analyzing cooperation between people, communication, and he has studied the the, the most difficult uh, teams to manage, marriages. He's able, la- ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. Professor Gottman is able to predict if you are going to divorce based on watching five minutes of your discussion with the accuracy rate of 93.6%. And he says that there's something, there is a component, there's a specific thing that makes our relationships crumble, that makes our lives literally miserable. And these are communication toxins. And what are the communication toxins? Communication toxins are the symptoms of the fact that our brains are in the reptilian brain mode. We lack what is called psychological safety. We lack psychological safety. We are in, we are worrying with ourselves and others constantly. We are afraid of ourselves, of the boss, of the neighbor. We are afraid of being attacked. And our reptilian brains, our amygdalas, because we have two amygdalas, our amygdalas are on constantly right and why is it my problem my problem it it is my problem as a mentor for leaders in teams because when the amygdala is on 
let's forget about communication for a moment. But this is my problem because when the amygdala is on, it means that there is not enough oxygenated blood in your frontal cortex. And the frontal cortex is a home to such beautiful clusters of neuro neurons as response, they are responsible for cooperation, for decision-making, for rational thinking, and for creativity. When the reptilian brain is on, there's no oxygenated blood in those centers. It means that you're not capable of cooperation, of creativity, of making decisions, of thinking rationally. Of planning, of motivation, of of empathy. You are only capable of fighting, lying away. Protecting yourself. Yeah. Protecting yourself or hiding. Yeah. And this this mechanism of the reptilian brain has been implemented in, into our brains like 250,000 years ago when we w- would be facing like literal danger, threat to our lives, like the saber toothed tiger. But now there are different dangers around and di- different reactions. We no longer react like literally punching somebody on the face, although we would okay. like to. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes. We rarely, we rarely run away, although sometimes we do. Yeah. And we don't literally hide under the table, but we do it using communication. Mm. So we fight people commu- on, on the communication level. So what is fighting people? I'm criticizing you. It is all your fault. It is all this marketing department. It's the boss. It's all his fault. He's the devil. He's the villain. We are running away from the danger. It's not my fault. I didn't get this email. I didn't know I was supposed to send you this report. Yeah. Or we are ignoring people. We turn off the cameras during our uh, team's meetings. We don't answer the phone. This is ignoring others. And there's the fourth, uh, the most dangerous mechanism, toxic communication mechanism, which is contempt, including sarcasm. This is a passive aggressive version of fighting the other. You not only punch them on the face with, with, uh, with contempt, with condescending words, but you show them you are worse than I am. You're ridiculous. You're good for nothing. You punch them, you prosecute them, and you reject them. With your words. With your words. And the result of our toxic communication is not only ineffective meeting, lack of trust on the team, the fact that people don't share their ideas, they're afraid to give feedback, they're afraid to get feedback because they're afraid of being uh, ridiculed by people or criticized, blamed. But but it's worse. When I started to dig into the, the mechanisms of t- toxic communication, it turned out there's, there are like tons of research, peer-reviewed science, which tells us that, for example, if you are subject to sarcasm on a daily basis, your Im- immune system gets compromised for the next four years. And it causes all those autoimmune diseases. Like MS, is it MS in English or SM? Yes, yes MS, MS in English. MS, MS, the, the, all those things. 
fibromyalgia, and etc. Ignoring others, stonewalling, as, as Professor Gottman calls this toxin, he says that like when we treat uh, somebody with silent days, we may cause diabetes in this person and we increase the risk of cancer in this person. This is serious stuff. Yeah. And I want when, to yes. bring attention to, you know, however many thousands of millions of whatever years ago, the dangers to us were twofold. The things that we reacted to on an amygdala level, on a fear level, were twofold. One of them was actual physical danger to our physical body, so the saber-toothed tiger. The other danger, which I I find we we don't talk about very often, but is very much part of this conversation, is being ostracized. Because oh. if you were ostracized, when you were in a community that was at most 150 people, because communities tended to be around 100, max 150 people, and everybody had a role to fulfill, and, and the whole group's survival depended on everybody doing the thing that they were meant to do. So if for some reason people decided that you weren't useful to the group... Oh. You would be ostracized. And if you are ostracized, you have no access to resources. You don't have food. You're not going to get clean water. You're not going to have, right? So on one hand, this, we don't have this, uh, you know, there's no saber-toothed tiger in my neighborhood. There's a lot of deer, an occasional coyote, a couple of foxes, but there's no saber-toothed <laughs> tigers. But there is this fear of being othered and we're now in Brené Brown territory, right? This fear of not belonging. And because our groups are no longer 150 people, they're thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's very easy to be separated, right? And yes. so I think that that's important. And the other thing that I want to say about this from the, from a scientific standpoint is that we talk a lot about this is something that I've mentioned on the podcast before, but is worth um, worth repeating. There's a stress response in women that doesn't happen as much in men, and it's related to oxytocin. And when so when we have a stress response, there's a, instead of the fight or flight, we have something that's called tendon befriend. And tendon befriend is a result of of high oxytocin levels, which is. Um, buffered is the wrong word, which is amplified by estrogen. So in the presence of estrogen, oxytocin is, is more, is stronger. And this oxytocin leads to us reaching out to people for resources, asking for things, helping to soothe people, et cetera. It's, it's, it's part of our system. Cool. But, and this is where things get fascinating. Oxytocin, once you've decided somebody doesn't belong in your group, functions the exact opposite way. Instead of tending to someone, instead of reaching out for help, you will do a million subconscious things to block that person from resources because of this hormone. So this hormone has a double-sided um, function as, as most hormones and neurochemicals do, right? So I just want to throw that out there because there might be, if you are caught in a system where the group has decided that you don't belong for mm -hmm. whatever reason, 
you have to get out of there. You're probably not going to fix it because they are treating you the way they're treating you on a hormonal level that they probably have no idea what's happening. They can't even help themselves. So there, I know that there's people out there that are like, well, I could just win this person over. It, it, stop. Hmm. You know? Get wow. the F yeah, out. Yeah, this is very important what you're talking about. This is so important. And and this is yeah, we we don't talk enough about belonging, about having this safety. Now I'm I'm write, writing a book for uh, Kate's sister because she wanted a book about personal development. And in personal development, we oftentimes so say Emma that just people writes should... books on request. <laughs> yeah, on request. What, what do you just write in comments? I'll write you a book, no problem. So I'm writing... <laughs> but Mozart would also uh, write a requiem on demand. So I'm in, in good company. Uh, whatever. Yeah. So coming back to yeah. the subject, um, then there's this saying that we should uh, we should uh, uh, get out of our comfort zone in order to develop ourselves but do we do you do i have the comfort zone which to me is the this feeling of belonging feeling at home when you do all those rituals to come back home after work do you feel like you belong at home do you feel the comfort zone. Where is your comfort zone? Like this, the, the need you feel, this, this tribal instincts to belong are so deeply rooted. We are hardwired. Gabor Mate, another expert on belonging and attachment, he says that, that people, that we are very specific mammals because when, when a child is born, we are so helpless. Like we literally can stand up. We can't even sit, sit up. We can't, we, we, we can't do anything. We will not survive with, without belonging to the tribe. That's why people are, are, are equipped with only two tools to survive. Seeking belonging, seeking attachment to the tribe. And the second need is authenticity. Mm. But we are ready. This, this need to survive through attachment, thanks to attachment, is so strong, so prevalent that we are, go we are absolutely ready to sacrifice our authenticity every moment, our boundaries every moment to belong. On a primal level. This is yes. absolutely my story. 100%. I lived my life finding ways to belong to the people around me. Even the people that were not involved in my life. The old lady on the tram, the people looking at a map on the side of the road. The, I was trying to belong to all of them all the time. Yes. And we are... We are walking through life. We are like, literally, I am looking into, I recently, I noticed that when I, when I just walk with my dog, I am looking into the eyes of passersby in a way, wanting their acceptance. Like, yeah. just as if, if I wanted to ask, do you love me? Do, do I belong? Am I enough? Like, just, this is just a freaking passerby. Yeah. But I do it like unconsciously. Yeah. Why am I a speaker? 
because I like this moment when there is a 2000, 2000 people in the audience and they are nodding. Yeah. It is a message for my poor inner child saying, you this belong. is, you belong here. They accept you here. Yeah. And I will um, share something that I have shared on the podcast before, but will be, uh, I think, a little more impactful because you're actually here with me. When I was going through my burnout recovery and, you know, all of the years of life coaching and all of the years of acupuncture schooling and all of the years being in the world of spirituality and in the, you know, in the world of personal development, there's this constant idea that you must always love yourself first and then everything else will come. And you and I got into a fight because I was an asshole and you didn't speak to me for a few weeks. And when we finally did speak, we had a really great conversation. And at the end of that conversation, you said, you really did a shitty thing and I love you anyway. I'll cry just thinking about it. And that was the moment that I realized that I could truly belong to someone. That was the first moment in my life that I thought that I could really belong to someone. So in the beginning of this episode, when I was talking about how great I think Eva is, we were blowing smoke up each other's asses because that's fun. But also, this is a human to whom I belong. And this human also belongs to me on a level that is unbreakable because I literally tried to break it and it didn't work. You're not and getting rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it's in, the, the reason I tell this story is because while having self-love matters, having the outward proof also matters. And it matters on a neurological level because of this fear of being ostracized, of being othered, right? So that doesn't mean that we should be searching for it everywhere and from everyone, but there is a middle ground between enough of my own self-love and enough openness and open communication with the people that are closest to me to understand that that's true in that space. So I, I think that, like I said, you know, that we used to work in, in groups of 150 people or less. I think if you can really have like two people that you belong to in this world, mm. you, you'll be all right. You don't need five. No. You know, like you need, you need two. And if you yeah. don't have to start looking for them and ask yourself if there's ways that you haven't let some of those people in that are trying to belong to you, because I did not let, I mean, woo. every time I moved from city to city, country to country, I was like, bye everybody. See you later. Never coming back. Right. Yeah. So. The inner yes, and the outer, we, you know? Yes. Yes. We need to create our comfort zones in order yeah. to withstand the toxicity, which is natural. These are natural mechanisms. 
in order to withstand uh, those, those things that burn us out, we need this comfort zone, this feeling that we belong. There's, there's that, that, this place where we belong unconditionally, yeah. where we don't give a F if yeah. somebody yells at us or not, because we feel like like this is... Or maybe we care. Or when, or maybe we care, but of course. We but we can still. come back to, yes. we can find that space. One of the, uh, some of the research on resilience says that one of the seven characteristics of people that are more resilient is that these people have an inner safe space. Uh, right? Yeah, they it's have always this, about the inner, the, the inner safety, safety is, is the most important, but it's so difficult. It's so difficult to, we can manage like external toxins. It's, 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 it's relatively easy to manage, but this inner toxicity, right? It's, it's the worst. It's the worst. And we have to like pay close attention to how we treat ourselves yeah. on a daily basis. How yeah. do you talk, talk to yourself? Because we do ostracize ourselves first. Why do we feel like we don't belong? Because we don't allow ourselves belong. Why do I, when you, you said that, when you, I, I, I wouldn't move so many times as you, so I don't make, perhaps I don't have so many experiences, but I have this, I have such a fear of, of rejection that when I am in a good relationship with someone, I don't want to meet him. Yeah. Another time, because I'm afraid that will be the last time that they'll like you. Yes. They're going to find yes. out who They're you are. They're going to find out who, I'm, who I am. Yeah. Yes. So we need a space. And it's going to also what I've learned through, through 46 years of my life is that people come and go. Yeah. Uh, we need to be ready for, for the change. Like sometimes someone is moving to the States. They are still <laughs> my friend. And there are d different people who are coming into my yeah. life. And, and I can... I can change. I can. I can have, bring new people and la allow myself to 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 be a safe space for someone new, so for someone else who yeah. who just appears on my on my path in the, in this moment. Yeah. So if we have somebody out there that's listening to this and they're like, "Well, my workplace is the worst, and there's no way I'm gonna ever influence it." Like, what? How? Do, what do I do? Like, how do I? If I have to survive there, I can't quit my job. You know, of course, there's people that think that they have no agency, but I can't quit my job. I have to stay. There's no, there's no options. This is the only circumstance. What do I do? With the toxicity? Yeah. Okay. So there are some simple things you can do. First off, start with yourself and start with monitoring your own inner communication. Because once you change the way you communicate with yourself, there will be less pain and you'll be less vulnerable. That's first thing. So just think about how do you greet yourself in the morning? When you do something, you forget about meetings. I tend to forget about meetings, about recording my sessions, etc. How do you react to yourself? That's first thing. Second thing, when there's toxicity around when people like criticizing or defensive or stonewalling you or, or using contempt, just name it, call it out because it is a social game. Using toxins is a social game as if someone took you into a, their arena and punching you. You need to show them that, you know, you see the game, you see it through. So just say, how do we say it? 
just imagine you're in the meeting and someone is saying, oh, this is, this is, this idea is not going to work because this is too costly, whatever. Like, hmm, I see you're criticizing. What is the alternative you would, we would offer? Hmm. So call out the toxin and any toxin you can say, oh, I, I get a feeling that you're a little bit defensive. It's not about uh, looking for who's guilty. Let's focus on the solution. When someone is sarcastic, I, I, um, I have a lot of workshops with management, with, with the boards. They are extremely sarcastic because they are fighting for power. So after 15 minutes of sarcastic ping pong, I say, okay, that was funny. Could we just please move on? Call out the toxin once it is seen. It's not so powerful and it's not so funny. So usually people stop naturally. Yeah. So what I want to point out in the way that you said this was you didn't say you're sarcastic. You didn't say you didn't throw it at anybody yeah. or make a, a, a judgment about anybody in these statements. This It was an observation of the situation. And I think this is part of what I see happening, even in the Facebook group, like somebody will say something about leaving their job and, you know, something happened to everybody be like, well, F them, they're the worst. They didn't appreciate you. And I understand where that comes from. I, I get it. And also we don't know the story there. <laughs> we don't know what's going on. Actually, we yeah. do know. Actually, we do know. We know that we are all wounded. Yeah. When I was preparing to writing the book, there were so many, so many studies saying that criticism is the highest form of autobiography. Mm. We are all wounded. And toxicity is a natural defense mechanism not to feel our own pain. It's always a, some kind of a pain. Yeah. There's always some kind of a pain behind it. Yeah. So just we need to realize these are a natural defensive mechanism. There's always pain, 100%. Even or, or, or especially when you have narcissistic people. Yeah. There's so much pain. Yeah. And the third thing that we have to keep in mind that we live in a top, in that culture that is supporting those toxic mechanisms because there's this philosopher and, and scientist, uh, Christopher Lush, he was analyzing American culture and diagnosed it to be the culture of spectacle. Mm. So we want to see, we want to see people in the arena fighting. We want to sh see all those reality shows where people are into each other's throats. Why? Because when we see that somebody else is suffering, someone else is being humiliated, we feel better. Yeah. So these are natural mechanisms exacerbated by the culture. Yeah. So don't blame the, per blame the person. Right. Okay, you can say he's an asshole. But <laughs> then come, to, come back to your senses and, and just, okay, just... Just reflect and, and just ch change the track of the conversation. 
yeah. name it, call it out, and get the conversation back on track, on, on the constructive track. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Plus, and I think that, yeah. yeah. It's just, that there's just one thing that sometimes yeah. there's such an emotional load to the toxin. So the pain is so, so big that it is not enough just to call out the toxin. Yeah. Because the the reptilian, which is rampaging, is so furious that you can't just stop him. So then you need to ventilate. You need to realize that there's this load of emotion and, and it needs to be ventilated. So, so let it vent. Sometimes we need to uh, take a pause uh, in a meeting or when we're having a fight at home and it's getting nasty and there's a lot of sarcasm and contempt, just take a break. It's not silent day. It's not slam about slamming the door, but just, okay, let's, let's take a break. Let, let sleep on it or whatever. Let the emotions settle down a little, let the dust settle and then come back, talk about what, what, what happened and, and come back to, to the conversation. Yeah. And I, I want to say that again, and I said this earlier, like there are going to be situations where you're not going to be able to influence it as much as you would like. And if you have the opportunity to create a graceful exit strategy from that type of situation and look for a better one, because there are better and worse ones. I mean, this is the the idea behind this and behind what everything Eva is saying is not saying like, well, you have to accept a narcissist and feel bad for them. Like, that's not the point. Right. But we also don't need to. I think oftentimes people think that if they don't, I mean, I love anger and resentment, so this is not a this is not a dig into anger or resentment, but that in order to change something, things have to be bad, right? So I'm not going to leave my husband because technically everything's okay. I'm not going to leave this job because it's not that bad. So unless I'm angry about something and somebody treated me badly, I have no real reason to leave. So we build up the stories to be even bigger than they are or may have been so that we feel justified in our decision to change something when really when especially when we're talking about jobs businesses are not people businesses are businesses when it's time to go you can go like we don't need to play this game of how angry do i need to get before i can go yes yes that's so that's so important uh, that what you mentioned when we when we talk about uh, managing change yeah. there are three components to change you need to man you can you have to prepare a change rationally emotionally but the third thing the third component of managing change which is equal to managing life because life is constant change is yeah. changing the environment right. sometimes you cannot do anything better than changing the you need to change the environment yeah and and the research says that only 10% of bosses are toxic. So there's 90% of, of bosses potentially who are better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, emotions are 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 signaling us that something right. is uh going the wrong way. 
Yeah. Stephen, um, Stephen Covey, I was just looking up who said this, but when you were saying that, um, the quote about change and progress happening at the speed of trust. Mm, yes. Right. The speed of, yeah. The speed of trust. I, I mean, we could spend perhaps two, two podcasts talking about trust because, because eventually what we want to get to is this feeling of trust because trust is all about feeling safe safety. enough to safety, worthiness, belonging. And there, but there's no trust in when you put trust in a petri dish and you put toxins in it, the trust is going to just melt down. There's no trust where they're there in a toxic environment. There's no no possibility there's go, that the trust is going to thrive. Yeah. And trust is amazing in business. Stephen Covey has proven it in his book. He's given so many examples where no trust means higher costs, more documentation, more time to manage projects, etc. This is amazing. We all need to get to the place where we trust ourselves and to some other people, two, five people from our tribe, from our soul family or from a team. Yeah. And there are Petri dishes that are toxic and there are families that are toxic that created people that are working in businesses that are toxic. But just because something doesn't suit you doesn't mean that it's toxic necessarily. So I my ask for this episode is that you be careful with this type of verbiage. It's okay to have a misalignment and have neither side be toxic. If it's toxic, GTFO, get the fuck out. But if it's misaligned, also GTFO, (laughs) right? Like there's, you that fighting against that is too much work. So I want to encourage you, if you're in a situation that's like semi-okay-ish, It's not necessarily toxic, but it's burning you out and not working for you for whatever reason. Don't allow yourself to get to the point where you hate everyone and everything in that building in order to justify a change. Yes. Because then you'll you'll become toxic yourself at some point. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You become the toxic person. Yeah, And then the trust can't exist because you're there. And meanwhile, you're telling this story about how wonderful you are and how much you try and how good you are and all these things that you do and nobody notices. And But you are now, you have transformed into. Yes, what we call it in uh, in, in teams, team building, we call it uh, a team blocker. Mm. A team blocker is a person who is overusing toxins and usually these are uh usually these are stars like those those experts who are the best experts on the team but have got frustrated for some reason yeah. perhaps they wanted a promotion and a colleague got it or for some other reason they're just not aligned they need should move on but they stick to this job and they become Out a team spite. blocker yeah. yeah 
Yes, it happens so, so often. And, and we all have this, you know, seed of being a team blocker, because again, this is natural mechanism. And when we are getting burnt out, we may happen to become a team blocker. And you are, as a team blocker, you can be a nice person. Mm-hmm. You can be a nice person and a team blocker who during every meeting is going to, you know, emanate those talks and I criticize and be condescending all this stuff and you are unintentionally going to make everybody else miserable (laughs) so if you feel like you need to go just move on yeah (laughs) (laughs) land a graceful strategy and gtfo there was a um someone talking about work in the government. And she said that she was like pushing through her burnout because she was like, I have to do this and I have to be here for my team. And she said, thankfully we had built up enough trust over the years. And my team sat me down. I'm the boss. My team sat me down and they said, you need to go handle yourself because you're making us all miserable. You you're the root right now. It's not us. We are fine. You're taking on too much. You can't keep up with it. Therefore we can't keep up with it. And these are your decisions. So we need you to go handle yourself. Take time off wow. if you need. Like go go figure yourself out because you're you are ruining this right now. And she was like, God, and, and here I was telling myself, I'm making all these sacrifices, I'm pushing through all this fatigue, I'm sacrificing time with my children because I care about this team. And the team was like, All this stuff you're doing, it sucks. She was like, burnout is contagious. And I was like, Yeah. Yes. Toxicity is also contagious. It is. So fried fam, by now you should understand why I love Eva. There I love you is, back. Thank you. <laughs> there is so much knowledge in her and so much experience and so many tools that you might need to listen to this one twice. I'm sure the Hivecast team will do a killer job with the show notes because they always do. So these scripts will be available to you. They'll be in written format. You can look at them. I want you to take this episode. I always want there to be a little bit of healing. I want this one to, to bring you a little bit of relief because you understand the mechanisms a little bit better and because you understand that demonizing people within those mechanisms is not the solution right so to to create a little bit of space and understanding around you and around the people around you so that this emotional soup that we're all swimming together in every day all day can be a little less bitter and a little more flavorful. That is my hope for you. If anybody needs to find Eva, her website will be in the show notes. And also as a side note, in addition to all the other amazing things she does, she does Akashic readings. And that's akashicreadings.eu. That will be in the show notes too. So if you feel like you could use a little Eva in your life, you should get some. Eva. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're the best. Until next time, Fred Fan.